If you believe that this morning, would you say amen? Amen, amen. amen. Have a seat if you can. Have a seat. We're so glad you're here this morning. Today is such a big day in the life of our church. Today is Vision Sunday, and so we're thrilled that you're here. Can anybody hear me in the back and outside the tent? Okay, great, because I've got a really big mouth. All right, so we're glad you're here this morning. And you know, when you think about Vision Sunday, a couple things we think about. Well, obviously, we want to talk about, you know, where have we been, right? Where have we been as a church? Uh, Where are we at as a church? And ultimately, where are we going as a church? But before we get into that, I think what is so important for us today is to remember and to be reminded of, you know, there's some truths that we find in the New Testament about just the church as a whole. Some things in Scripture that we find about the New Testament church. Because here's the thing I want us to know, is that when you look at the New Testament church, a couple things that should jump out at us. First of all, the New Testament church, the church has a really big deal to God. The church is a really big deal to God. And here's what I mean by that. The church began after, a mo- after an event. Did anybody know what that event was? Anybody know what the event was? It was the resurrection of Christ. After that event of the resurrection, the church was formed. And the church is a really big deal to God. Here's why. Because the church is the vehicle that our Heavenly Father has decided to use to share and to permeate and to propagate His message to a lost and broken world. The church is a really big deal because it is the vehicle to share the gospel to the rest of the world. The church also has a really big promise, a promise that came from Jesus in Matthew's gospel. Jesus said it this way, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, listen, those of you that are part of the church, it's not your church. It is my church. It's King Jesus' church and it's my responsibility to build my church, and there's nothing, not even the devil himself, that can stop what I'm up to. Amen? You believe that? And so the church, when you look at the New Testament, it has, it's a really big deal to God. It has a really big promise, but most importantly, the church has a really big vision. And here's the vision that Jesus gave the church in Matthew 28, to go and what? Make disciples. To go into all the world and to make disciples. He says, listen, you as a church are my hands and feet, and I want you to go, and I want you to share the message of Christ, and I want you to go and share this gospel message so that other people might come to faith in Jesus. And here's why this is important, that we look at the church and realize it's a really big deal to God. The church has a really big promise that he's going to build it, and the church has a really big vision. Listen, here's why that's important. If that was true of the church in the New Testament, isn't it true of our church today? Isn't it true? I mean, doesn't Cross Life East, isn't it a really big deal to God? Yes, it is. Isn't the fact that Cross Life East has a really big promise from God that he is going to build his church? Not us. We're part of it, but guess who builds it? He's the builder. But also, if that was the vision of the church in the New Testament, isn't it our vision, too, that we're to go make disciples. If you believe that the, the, the big deal, the big promise, and the big vision that we see in the New Testament is true for us today as well, would you just shout amen? amen. Man, I hope you do. Now, if we really believe that, if we really believe and we are under this mandate, this vision to share the gospel with everybody we come in contact with, to be his hands and feet and to a lost and a broken world, if we really believe that, there's some things we need to ask ourselves this morning. First of all, we need to ask ourselves, well, where have we been? See, if the vision is what drives the church, and it is, we need to look at ourselves and say, okay, how well are we doing that? Where have we been as it comes to carrying out this vision? Where are we at as it comes to carrying out this vision? But ultimately, where are we going 
so that we can carry out this vision. Now, obviously, Pastor Mercer couldn't be here this morning. He is coming, and he's a Baptist, so he's coming for lunch today, and so he'll be here. He'll be here by the time the food comes out. Don't tell him I said that, because he probably won't watch this. So anyway, no, he's going to be here, but he and I was talking this, this a couple weeks ago, and I said, our church really wants to hear a word from you. You are the senior pastor of Cross Life, and you know better than anybody else where we've been in the last seven years. And would you just take a moment and share? And so I've asked Pastor Mercer to share a video. We're going to see that in just a minute. And then after the video, I've asked somebody who's been here since the beginning, somebody who's been here since the launch of this campus that knows it very, very well, would come up and just share kind of where we've been as a church. And I've asked Don Jacobs in just a moment to come share. So let's watch this video of Pastor Mercer, and then Don will come share with us. Hi. I'm Dwayne Mercer, the senior pastor of Cross Life Church. I'm excited as you celebrate Vision Sunday here at East Campus. I wish I could be with you today, but I've been out on sabbatical the last two Sundays and I really need to be in Oviedo today. But about seven years ago, God began to open up my heart for the need to multiply our church through other congregations, both locally and around the world. At the time, our church was ministering throughout the area through what we called community block parties. Well, we held one there at the school at Cypress Lakes and had over 500 people in attendance. Well, immediately, God began to burden our hearts for the need for a gospel witness in your community. From there was born the idea of an East Campus. We estimated we would need about $250,000 to get things rolling, get things started. I was able to raise some money through our television ministry and from other donors outside the church. I even took one trip to Texas to visit a former member that resulted in a $100,000 gift. Well, there have been certainly been a few challenges along the road. The enemy seems to always attack awesome opportunities. But now with Doug as your shepherd, we're back on the right track. I believe there is a greater need today for a church in this area than there was even seven years ago. People are moving in. New homes are being built. My wife and I have moved to your community. And this is why I'm so excited about Vision Sunday as you look at taking your next steps. Your leaders have some exciting possibilities to share with you today. It's gonna to be a big day, so enjoy it. And we will enjoy it with you. God bless. My hand. Thanks, Pastor Mercer. Pastor Mercer had the vision to, uh, to get this all started, get the ball rolling, so to speak, and, and the staff has asked me to kind of come up and give you a glance into the past. How many of you were here the very first Sunday we met at East Campus? Look around. You can ask some of these folks, uh, you know, to set the record straight after I'm done up here today. But uh, thank you for your faithfulness. The Lord sees that. And uh, so really, I just wanted to high step through a little bit of where we've been. Not necessarily where we're going, but where we've been. Where, so I was talking to my wife about it. Hey, where do I start? She said, just make sure it's brief. I said, well, in the beginning... God, no, she said, start much, much later than that. I said, okay, in 1869, some pioneers got together. She said, no, 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 start much further than that. I said, well, what about when we, when we built the first wooden chapel? We were meeting under a brush arbor. Not me. I wasn't alive back then. I know you thought I was, but I'm not that old. But we were meeting under brush arbor. And that day, in 1869, the people said, we need a church in our community. It'll raise, the, elevate the morality. It'll, it'll be good for all of us. It'll help us to grow the community where people will want to come and live with their families and raise children and put down roots. And they were right. 
And so they, they split at that time, and there was a Methodist church that started, and there was a Baptist church that started. And then they built a little wood frame building. And then in, in uh, 1923, we built a brick building. We call it the chapel now. Terry and I were, were married 34 years ago in the chapel when it was the big church. And um, if you walk in there, there's stained glass and all kinds of pretty wood. And, and it was an all-purpose building. Uh, it was our first real church building. And then, then we decided to build uh, the church that's on the corner, uh, the larger church. We call it Legacy Hall now. And, uh, and it cost us money. We, we decided we were going to give up some stuff. And we were going to build a little bit bigger, bigger so we could all meet together. And then, uh, I don't have the exact dates, but, but then one year we decided we were going to build a family life center. And so Terry and I made some contributions to that. And we were around crowds of people, and they'd be talking about their offshore boat and their, their yacht and their this and that. And Terry and I are looking at each other going, we built, <clears throat> we didn't do all of that. We built a gymnasium for, for me to play basketball in, but not just for me. It wasn't a selfish thing. It was for who? The kids crawling out of this water over there. And it made a difference. It was an investment that's escalated in value. It hadn't gone down. It doesn't depreciate when I invested in the Family Life Center. And we still use it today. And then we were uh, gathering as a church like this, and we didn't have enough room. We said we need to build something. And, and so we, uh, we made some contributions and commitments, and we built this thing. And guess what happened? Some planes landed in a building and destroyed our confidence as a country. Nobody had any American flags back then, and nobody went to church. We were on autopilot. But when the planes crashed, everybody said, I need a place to go to church. And we had just opened up what we call now the hangar. We called it the Transitional Worship Center. And that place on September, right after the 11th, was what? What do you think? It was jammed with people because when things happen in people's lives, they run to the Lord. Right, that's a good place to be. Get knocked to your knees. Get on your back and look up and see what you see. So we were excited about God's timing for the Transitional Worship Center. And then, and then we decided we were going to build something else, and we built that. And they're worshiping over there today, three or four services over there today. And so some of you, all of you that came with us, we were, we were meeting in that big, nice, comfortable building. And it was so sweet, and we could show up and hide and do whatever we wanted to do. Didn't have to get our hands dirty. I didn't have to move a chair around. Didn't have to set up a table. Didn't have to put up a tent. Didn't have to do nothing. Just show up. And that's what was happening in my soul. My heart started getting hard, and I didn't care about nothing. Then you come out here, and you start putting your hands to the work. How many of you enjoy setting up chairs? Because you know it's because it's unto the Lord I'm doing this. And every week now, for how many weeks has it been? I can't even count the weeks. I can count them by years. My spiritual gift is converted into setting up chairs. For seven years, we've been setting up chairs. We set up chairs today. Thank you all for helping. That helps set up. Thanks for showing up and being willing to get your hands dirty and sweat a little bit. Put some equity in it. Blood, sweat, and tears is what it takes. And I had a lot of tears over here today. Congratulations. All y'all got baptized, it's 150,000 years from now you'll remember this day, right? Uh-oh. <laughs> you, you, you break it, you bought it. <laughs> and I know what's there under there. <laughs> this is getting too exciting. He's trying to steal my show. Sit down, Elijah. Goodness. 
I lost my place. I'm going to have to start all over. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what happened on day six? Did I? Oh, no. I, my wife's going like this in the back. Okay. Well, it's been a fun seven years. Well, some of it's been fun. It's been real, and it's been fun, but it hasn't always been real fun. And, and so people would ask me, the Nimbus, where are y'all? We came, we had them out here to the house. We said, hey, y'all come, we want to get to know you better. They said, well, I'm not sure we won't come to your house. I said, I'll behave, promise. So they came. And, and one of the first things John asked me, he says, when are you going to build a church? I said, uh, well, here's the real truth of that. The Lord was building a church before he wanted to build a church. And... Um, it took him, we're hard-headed people, and we had, some, we had some issues, right? I had some issues. And so I still have issues, right? Amen? If, if I have issues, you say amen. Amen. Everybody's unanimous about that. But God's working on me. He's changing a clay-hardened heart to something that's softer. And I'm becoming more Christ-like, I think, every day as I get in contact with God's people and God's man. He's willing to open the book, crack open the book and read it. And it changes me. And his mercy makes me want to change my life. Because I'm, I'm, I'm not a really a nice person, Doug. I'm sorry to tell you that. But I'm trying to be nice to you. Because <clears throat> the Lord wants me to. But I'm glad that he and his family are here. Amen? Let's give him a hand. Woo. So thank you, Osborns. Uh, so in the beginning, God... Created. No, no, that's all right. So the other day I was riding around with one of my mentors, Lynn Klein. He's since moved to Arizona. He's the best Bible teacher in our church for probably 30 years. And I loved being under his ministry. He taught me a lot. One of the things he taught me was um, a good Bible teacher does this. He says, he says what he says, and then I, I'm sitting there going, gosh, you know what? I need to read my Bible more. So that's the way I compliment Lynn Klein. He made me want me to read my Bible more. There's some good stuff in there. And, and I read it and I go, I maybe not understand this. I asked Doug and he and, and he helps me with it. But I was having Lynn Klein out the other day. We were, we rode around East Orlando. How many of you live in East Orlando? Give me a hand. Wow. We're talking to the right crowd. And so um, yeah, yeah, I still live there. Cool. So we were riding around, and there was, um, he was amazed. He hadn't been out this way in a while. Guess what he saw? What did he see? People. What else? Roads and houses, rooftops, and ranches have rooftops on them now, and groves, orange groves. Used to be an orange grove there. What's there now? Houses and people. You live there. There's rooftop after rooftop after rooftop, and guess what we didn't see? Didn't see a church. Don't, don't, don't. Where are all the rooftops of the churches? And, uh, and I, he had a burden for it. And uh, I think you can see I have a burden for it too. I, I really want to look back on this and go, you know, the people in 1869 went through some stuff. And they, they, they sacrificed some stuff because they saw, they saw something. They saw the future. They saw people moving here, trying to escape from the the laws that were being imposed right after the Civil War. And here, here we are. 
You know, we're from all different parts of the world. I've met a lot of people here. There's, there's people here from all over the world. And guess what? There's more coming. We were in realtor's office this week. There's a, uh, a new 2,500 home subdivision coming right next to where our, we meet in our school. 2,500 more houses on top of the thousands that are already there. So I told him I'd be brief. I, I apparently lied. But that's where we've been, and uh, I want to know where we're going, Doug. Thank you, Don. Here's why that's important. If we really believe the vision of the church is to go make disciples, that's the lens that we have to look at everything, isn't it? That's the lens that we look at our past, and we can see with Pastor Mercer and with Don, the, the vision behind planting a church in an area where there was no churches to reach an area. So that's where we've been. But I want us to think about where we are right now, where we're at right now. And as I, as I begin to pray about and think about as a church, where are we at right now? Here's the conclusion I've come to. We are a church right now that's doing a really, really good job at loving God and loving people. I've never been around a group of people any more passionate about truly loving God and loving people like Cross Life East. I've never experienced it. And so we are, as a church are doing an exceptionally good job right now where we're at at doing those two things. In fact, for example, we have uh, great small group leaders like Don and Terry. We have great small groups who, who come every week and they open God's word and they teach God's word to us so that we can grow in our faith. We have an explosive uh, children's ministry that's growing and that has grown by leaps and bounds over the last year. We have an inviting, uh, a warm and inviting environment when you come on Sundays. In fact, I find it interesting when I talk to families that visit with us on Sunday mornings, rarely do I hear this. Man, the music was wonderful, even though it is. Amen? Rarely do I hear the message was outstanding. Here's what I hear. Man, the people there are so loving, are so caring, and they make me feel like I matter. And so we as a church are doing a great job at making people feel like they're connected. We've also built great relationships in our communities. we built great relationships with community leaders like, like those that work at Neighborhood Center for Families in Bithlow, Roxy and Polly. And so we've built relationships with them so that we can in turn uh, turn around and actually serve with them and make a difference in their community, right? We've done that. We've also been a church that's worked hard to serve those around us. We provided job fairs for those that didn't have a job and in fact, the day we did that, a little over a year ago, three people were hired on the spot. It was amazing. We've done things like uh, movie nights at the park, even though it got rained on. I mean, not rained on. The sprinkler system came on, and it was an amazing time. Thanksgiving, like a couple years ago, last couple years, there's been families at East River that were not going to have a Thanksgiving, and we were able to work through Kelly Belcher and provide Thanksgiving meals to those families. This year, we've worked hard to provide Christmas for families that aren't going to have a Christmas. What's your point, Doug? Here it is. That as a church, when we look at where we are now, we've seen where we were, when we look at where we are now, and we think, okay, I need to view that and interpret that and discern that through the vision of making disciples, I want to say, I think our church is doing an amazing job. We're doing a great job at loving God and loving people. But I also want to say this, because of where we find ourselves location-wise, there's no doubt we are handcuffed, aren't we? There's no doubt we're handcuffed. There's no doubt that the kind of ministry we want to do, the kind of outreach we want to do, we are severely handcuffed by being tied to a place that, 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 that we can't do those kinds of things in. But not only are we handcuffed, listen to me, not only are we handcuffed, we're vulnerable, right? The school holds all the cards. 
I mean, they get to make decisions we don't get to make. We are out of control at some level. We're blessed. Listen, we are blessed to be able to be in that school. That school has been a great place for us. We've been there since I've came. It's a nice place. David Martin, who's our kind of liaison, has been wonderful to work with. But at the end of the day, the school board and the Orange County school system has all the cards in their hand. At any moment, they can pull that card out. And we're left there just hanging. In fact, you say, well, Doug, give me an example. I'll give you a recent example. Friday morning, like, like two days ago, I'm sitting there, I'm going through my emails, and I get an email from the secretary at Columbia Elementary saying, hey, the school board has sent down to us that you guys can't meet on December 27th here at the school because we've got to do adequate cleaning, and so you guys can't be here that day. That's just one example of many of how they can just pull the rug out from underneath us. So as I look about where we're at now through the eyes of the vision to make disciples, I want to say as a church body, man, we're doing a great job. I am so proud to get to be part of this church, not just lead this church, but to get to rub shoulders and serve and love people with you because you guys are fantastic. But if we really want to be honest, when we look at our location, we're very handcuffed and we're extraordinarily vulnerable to them pulling the rug out from underneath us. So that leads me to really the third question I want us to look at before we get to Scripture, and it's this. So where are we going? Right? Don't we all want to know where we're going? Don't we want to know? In fact, um, this question was, was uh, asked of me, and it was August a year ago. I asked Ryan Murphy, let's have lunch, Ryan. I, they were kind of come new to the church, and I said, let's have lunch. And, and I don't know if you know Ryan. He's a great guy to get to know. Isn't that right, man? He's a great guy to get to know. Well, maybe, okay, I think he's a great guy. Here's what I love about Ryan. He's a no-nonsense guy. What I mean is, if he's got a question on his heart, he's going to ask it. So we sit down to lunch, and we're at Dustin's Barbecue, and I'm expecting some great just kind of camaraderie conversation, and we sit down, we order our food, and out of his mouth, here's the only question he asks me to start a conversation. So where are we going as a church? Where are we going, Pastor? Where are we going? Which then I put on the pastor mode. I'm like, uh, 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 uh. I, I was like, well, like Charlie Brown, wah, 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 wah. I mean, I was like, I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, I mean, he asked me pinpoint, and really that conversation, God used that conversation to birth something in me to go. You need to start having some conversations. And so I, that conversation led me to multiple conversations with people under this tent, people that are here that are part of East Campus, and those conversations led to conversation with Pastor Mercer, and we began to have conversations and think, what are we going to do? What's our future look like? And about the time I really felt like with the leadership of Pastor Mercer and the leadership of this church that we're really ready to kind of put a plan in place and, and kind of put it out there, and then we all know what happened in February, right? COVID, right? And so me, listen, I want, can, I be, can I be transparent this morning? Can you, is it okay that, that the pastor is transparent to you? Because here's what I'm going to say. And that moment, you know what I want to do? All that stuff that God had been stirring, I decided in that moment, you know what? It's not the right time. I need to put it on the shelf. I need to put it over there. Woe me is a little faith, right? But it was through the pandemic, through the times that we were videoing online, through the times we started meeting on Tuesday nights at Oviedo campus, through those moments that people in this tent began to come to me asking the same question that Ryan Murphy asked me, asking the same question, going, Pastor, we got to do something. Pastor, what are we going to do? And it was almost as if God had used those moments in my life to go, you know, listen, Doug, I was birthing something. Who are you to put it on the shelf? Who are you to take it off the table? 
So Doug, listen up. And so I began to listen to the people around me. And I'm going to tell you today, as I stand here, I feel 100% convicted, 100% at peace in saying this, that what we need as an East Campus more than anything else is we need a home. You believe that? Say amen. amen. We need a home. Yes, we need a home. Now let me tell you why that matters. Because some of you are going, okay, Doug, what does a home do for us? Well, first of all, a home gives us credibility, doesn't it? I mean, if there's one question, when I visit people, one question I'm always asked because we meet in the schools, how long you've been here and you're going to stay here forever? Now, what are they really asking? Are you here to stay? Right? That's what they're asking. How long you've been here and are you here to stay? So a building gives us credibility in the fact that people that pass by it go, they're planning here. They have some real dirt on the ground, some real real estate. They are planted and they're going nowhere. So it gives an amazing credibility. It also give, provides opportunities. A facility provides us opportunities. Now, I know the church is not the building. We are the church. But when you have a facility, it provides opportunities like no other opportunities. For example, if you had a church facility that you were able to do some things, it would allow us the opportunities for us to grow additionally spiritually, provide things for like men's events, women's events, children's events, a student ministry that has found its legs and beginning to grow and to explode. It will provide opportunities for us to have Mother's Day out and different things for people to come to actually to continue to grow spiritually because we're not on anybody else's timetable. We're not vulnerable to anybody else. We get to call our own shots. And so it provides great opportunities, but also provides great opportunities to serve our community. When we think about loving people, a facility can help us, and it really can exacerbate what we're already doing. It can add to what we're already doing. Because if you have your own facilities, guess what? Do you believe there's people around us that are hurting? Yes. So we can offer stuff like grief share. We can offer stuff like divorce care. We can offer like maybe different music events that people can come to and just hang out and enjoy it on a Friday night and get their, their Coca-Cola and their cup of coffee and just be together. Listen, you know what I love today is this is the first time in almost 11 months that we've all been in the same place together. All of us. And I love this, don't you? I love it. I love it. And so it gives us opportunity. Maybe we could even do an after-school care, Right? And so it gives us opportunity to do just that. But the last thing is, not only does it provide credi- give us credibility and provide opportunity, last of all, it meets a real need. It meets a real need. Don said it a while ago. If you've driven down Lake Pickett, and you've driven down Chuliota Road, and you've driven down 50, there's one thing that you've not seen very often, and that's a church. There is a void in our area. Yes, I know we're in Columbia Elementary, but the signs go up on Saturday and they come down on Sunday afternoon. And that's the only time if they pass by in that window, are they going to know that we're there? There is a great void in our area. So if we're able to have a facility, it gives us the opportunity, the, the, the actually that gives us the opportunity to meet a real need. Now, here's what I want you to think about. In Cypress Lakes and Corner Lakes, just those two. That doesn't take into Avalon, doesn't take in Bithlow, doesn't take in Wedgefield where I live. You take those two communities, there's over 3,000 rooftops in those areas. If you were to draw a seven-mile radius around Columbia Elementary where we meet, guess how many people live within that? 33,000 people live within seven miles of where we meet every week. And according to statistics in Barna, their statistics team, they would say this, that 65% of people in metropolitan areas do not attend church anywhere. You know what that means for us? That almost 25,000 people aren't going to church anywhere that lives in a seven-mile radius 
of where we're planted. Now, I'm not okay with that. Are you okay with that? I'm not okay with that. And if we have a facility, it gives us the opportunity to meet a real need and to be a beacon of light. And here's the question I want you to think about. It's a question I heard Don say on Friday that I cannot get out of my head. And it was this question. Can you see it? Can you see the opportunity? Can you see how it brings credibility? And can we truly see how it meets a need like nobody else is meeting? And if you can, how do we move forward? How do we move to the next level with this vision that we need at home. If you have your Bibles, I know, like, is he ever going to get to the Bible? Here we are. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 4. And I just want to highlight some things in Acts chapter 4. Because if we say, as we're going forward, and we really need a home, I really believe that we need a home that gives us credibility, it gives us opportunity, and it really meets a felt need. How do we move to the next level to fulfill this mission? If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 4, verse 13, I'm going to begin reading. It'll be on the screen if you can see it. Here it is. It says this. Now when they, now stop there, Peter and some folks were in the city and they were sharing the gospel. And they were doing all that God had called them to do. And the rulers and the officials of that city didn't like the fact they were sharing the gospel. And they told them, you got to stop. You can't do this anymore. We're going to arrest you. We're going to, we're going to chastise you. We're going to rebuke you. We're going to penalize you and discipline you. You have to stop. And so that's where verse 13 comes in. Now, when they saw, the people saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, that they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they said nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. In other words, these guys are preaching the gospel, and people are being healed. People are being saved. We don't like it, but at the end of the day, what are we going to do about it? See, what I love about those verses is this. It says that even the leaders of that area recognize the boldness of Peter and John. Now, hear me today, church. Where did that boldness take them? Where did that boldness lead them? Because, listen, if we believe, come on, if we believe that the vision for this church is to make disciples, and we really believe that where we need to go as a church is to have a home so we can have greater credibility, greater opportunity, and to meet a need, there needs to be a boldness within us that takes us somewhere. So where did their boldness take them? Look with me in these verses. Look with me in verse 17. It says this, But in order that they may spread no further among the people, these people said, Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them, and told them not to speak at all in the name of Jesus. But listen to this. But Peter, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. In other words, listen, God is on the move, and you want us to stop? Listen, you can judge whether it's right or wrong, but at the end of the day, I'm going with God. At the end of the day, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. Listen, these guys' boldness led them somewhere. You know what it led them? It led them to, have, uh, uh, to obey irrationally. These guys were so bold that it led them to obey the Lord irrationally. Now, what do I mean by that? They obeyed the Lord even in face of the consequences, right? These guys could have died for their faith. If they continued to share the gospel, which they did, they could have been captured, arrested, and stoned to death. But these guys knew one thing, that they were going to obey irrationally. Why? Because they had seen what God was up to. 
They had seen God save people, God heal people, and God's lives being changed. And I want you to hear me today, church. If we are going to move to the next level, we as individuals and we as a church must make this commitment that we, too, are going to let our boldness for this vision to obey God irrationally. That we are going to be willing to obey him irrationally. If you believe that, say amen. We need to obey him irrationally. Now listen, I just want to tell you, we've kind of already began that journey a little bit. We've kind of already began that journey. In fact, you remember me talking about putting everything on the shelf earlier? You know, after God kind of chastised me and I began to take it off the shelf and began to say, okay, God, if this is what your vision is for us, uh, um, I, I'm not skilled enough. I know how to preach the word. I know how to love people. That's about as far as my expertise goes. I need help. I need people. I need to be surrounded by a community of people that are way smarter and talented than I am. And it's no, no doubt, as I, and you all probably agree with that, but as I prayed that prayer, God just began to bring people into my life. I began to have conversations I never had before. I had somebody call me one day and say, you know what? When we get to this place, not knowing that I was even thinking about this, when we get to this place, you need to call Willie and Pat because Willie was a manager of people and Pat's heart is so big that she can guide and direct this team to help us in a great and powerful way. And so people were calling me. And then I had somebody I had lunch with said, listen, when you get ready to do this, I want, I want to be on that team. Why not? And I jokingly just said, okay, like you don't really know we're talking about this, but what do you bring to the table? And then they told me what they brought to the table. I'm like, oh my gosh, story after story after story of God assimilating a team and putting a team together that can lead us to this next level that we're moving to. We began to obey irrationally. And as that team began to get together and just praying, just praying, just seeking, God, we began to talk about opportunities we'd have. We started talking about, is there any place we can permanently lease that would get us out of the school, but would make us less vulnerable? And if you've driven those roads I talked about, here's what you're going to find out. There are zero opportunities out there. There was only one building that could come close, and it had six parking places. You think that's enough? <laughs> right? Not at all, is it? Six parking places. So then we're like, okay, what are we going to do? Well, maybe we need to start looking for land. And, and so uh, we began to look, and there was this 40 acres that came available, and we looked at it, and, and Don and I were talking. The team was talking. It's like, it's a great piece of land, and, but at the end of the day, they wanted $3.2 million for the land, which made me just want to kind of throw open my mouth. I was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, I, 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 that, that, is, that is beyond what I can even comprehend or even, even think about. And then there's some other land that came available, and it was like 4.92 acres for an ungodly amount of a price. It was, it was ridiculous. And I'm sitting there. We're all sitting there, and we're like, okay, God, you're at work. You're doing your stuff. But, but God, we need some traction here. And then thanks to Rachel, Jesse, and Jim Herb, there was another property that came available. And that property also was 40 acres. And you're never, never going to guess what they wanted for that property. They wanted $700,000. One-fifth of what the other 40 acres they wanted. And so we were like, okay, what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do? You know, God, we believe you're orchestrating. We want to obey irrationally, God. What are we going to do with that? And so as a team, we're praying and we're thinking, we're praying and we're thinking, and we decided to do something. Are you ready? Are you, re are you sitting down? Are you ready for this? We decided we got to take a leap. You know, we met with some, some legal people at Oviedo campus. I was been meeting with Pastor Mercer and talking. In fact, Don and I, Jacobs had a lunch with Pastor Mercer, and we're talking, and we shared about this property. And Pastor Mercer, without any hesitation, looks at us and goes, what are you guys waiting on? You guys got to jump on that. And so we took a leap as a team and go, okay, okay, Lord, we're going to do something that's in, that's, uh, that we are obeying you irrationally right now. And we did the unthinkable. You ready? 
We threw in a contract. We threw in a contract and said, God, just what are you up to? In fact, let me show you that. Elijah, will you set this up here for me? Let me show you what we're looking at, what we're talking about today. Yes. And this will be up here when we're done. You can look at it. But I, I want to, it's just more of an illustration. Thank you, Elijah. This bl- whole black area, and I'll get out of your way, is the 40 acres. You say, Doug, what's the white spot? Well, that spot that is already buildable. You've got to knock a few trees down. You can build on it already. 16 acres. But I want you to notice, that's where Columbia Elementary is. Look where the property is. Right across the street. Right across the street. I mean, if there was ever a moment... We said, God, you put us here to reach people. Would you open up a door for some land for us that we could step into it? And God goes, okay. How's 200 feet from where you're already at, right? And that's it right there. And we threw in a contract. Now, Doug, why are you telling me this today? Because we need you to pray. We need you as a church to pray. Listen, we submitted a contract for way less than what they're asking. We submitted a contract that put very little earnest money down so that we as a church can take some time to look at this property and come back in January and actually officially vote on the property. And we, we, we got a, uh, this property, this contract, plenty of time for us to look and to see exactly if this is the property that God has for us. But we need you to pray because you know what? Tomorrow's the day. Tomorrow's the day that we get the final word that yay or nay and be, help us to step into what God would have for us. So as a church, we need you to pray. Can you pray for us? Can you pray for this? Can you pray for our future? That God would open this door. Listen, this early church believers, because of their boldness, they obeyed irrationally. And if we're going to move forward and go to the next level, we too have to obey irrationally. Let me give you a second thing I want you to see in the passage. These people not only obeyed irrationally, they gave extravagantly. Look at me in verse 32. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, no longer has said that any of these things that belonged to him was, or was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimonies to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and was great grace upon them all. There was not any person in need among them. For as many as they were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought them the proceeds, were sold and laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as had need. In other words, this early church believed something. You ready? Here's what they believed. Everything belongs to God. That we are only managers. We are not owners. And they so believed that, that they took all that they had and they made sure that every need was met. This early church not only obeyed irrationally. Listen, they gave extravagantly. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, here it comes. He's a preacher. It's coming. It's not coming. Can I tell you something? If there's one thing, and if you're around me a long time, you've heard this way, probably way too much. If there's one thing that I want to say about this church, is this church has always given extravagantly in the two and a half years that I've been here. This church, I've t- listen, I have just stepped into my 30th year of ministry. And I can tell you, I've never been in a church that gave this extravagantly. I've never been in a church when we had an all of a sudden opportunity to serve saying, listen, we need, we need five bags of groceries like with like 20 items in them each. We need five bags of groceries two years ago for East River families that aren't going to have a Christmas or have a Thanksgiving. And here's the things we need. Would you please go to Publix right after church? You have time to pray about it, think about it. Go buy the stuff. Meet us in the back over by Till, uh, Tilly Twister, whatever that place is called. And you meet us with your stuff. And it looked like a drug trade gone bad. And so bring us your stuff. And we're going to put it in our trunk, and we're going to take it to the school. And guess what? We didn't do five bags. We did 25 bags. 
And I'm like, oh my gosh, think about this kind of church that we're in. And this last year, we said we need to provide bills for kids, and the, the counselor actually added to our list. It was like 40 things on the list now. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of stuff. We need 20 bags. We didn't provide 20 bags. We provided over 30 bags. I mean, this church has always given <laughs> extravagantly. And let me say this. No, have you given extravagantly to things like that. You've given extravagantly in your tithes, too. When I first came here, this church was leaning on Oviedo campus over and over and over again financially just to stay afloat. Hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on Oviedo campus. And in 2019, for the first time, at that point in the six-year history of this church, this church not only gave extravagantly, but they not only met their budget, you gave $70,000 over the budget that was needed to make it through 2019. That's how this church gives. And this year, let me tell you this year, this year, no, and you say, well, Doug, this year's pandemic. Give us a little break. No, 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 no. Through the pandemic, this church has continued to give extravagantly. Through the pandemic, this church has given 30% more already this year than we gave all of last year. Come on. Now, that is awesome to celebrate in this church. So I am, so, I am so proud. And listen, here's the funny thing. We've even made giving hard on you. I mean, we used to like pass the plate and you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to put it in there. We've made it hard on you. Some of you, I know you and you hate technology. So when we first started this pandemic, we're, okay, you got really three options. You can give online. Ah, nobody wants to do that. You give online. You can mail a check. You mean, what's mailing a check anymore, right? And so you got to go get a stamp. You got to get an envelope or you can find one of the bins. So you, now you're in hide and seek. You're trying to, I mean, we've made giving hard on you and you still have given extravagantly. So here's what I want to say to you. If we are going to move forward and move to the next level, we just need to stay the course. We need to continue to give extravagantly our tithes and offerings to the Lord and continue to give and let God take and multiply what we give him. If we're going to move to the next level, we've got to continue to give extravagantly. And one more thing I want you to notice before I close is this. Look at me, verse 27 through 31. Back up a little bit. It says this. And they begin to pray and they say, Sovereign Lord, for truly in this city there are gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you know in both Herod and the Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon the threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, listen, everybody say that with me. And when they had prayed, say it again. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered did what? It was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Listen, this church, these people were so, so mesmerized by the vision to make disciples that it led them to be bold. And in their boldness, that led them to obey irrationally, to give extravagantly. And thirdly, it led them to pray really big prayers. Listen, they prayed a prayer that could only happen if God stepped in. They said, God, man, we're under threat. And you know these people. They're the ones that crucified your son, Jesus. They're the ones that came against him. There's a lot of opposition here, Lord. We're asking you, would you pave the path for us so that we can continue to preach the gospel with boldness? God, would you do something that only you can do? And as soon as they prayed that prayer, the place began to shake. It was almost like God is saying, you just wait and see what I'm about to do. And I'm just telling you, if we're going to move forward as a church, we need to pray really big prayers. I say amen to that if you believe that. 
really big prayers. Listen, not the kind of small prayers we pray, the kind of prayers that say, God, this can only happen if you step up. This can only happen if you intervene, God. We need to pray really big prayers. See, these early believers obeyed irrationally, gave extravagantly, and they prayed really big prayers. And if we're going to move to the next level, we got to do the same thing. So I have two questions for us all today before I pray. Here's the first one. Do you see it? Do you see the, 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 the opportunity in front of us? Do you see the possibility of having a home, what it can do to reach at least 3,000 rooftops, not counting the 2,500 that are coming in in a couple of years, not to mention Avalon, Wedgefield, Bithlow, and Chuliota? Can you, can, you, can you see the opportunity we have in front of us? And if you can see it, then I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you just simply, today as we pray, would you just say, Lord, I'm committing today. The cow agrees with us. I'm committing today. Lord. I'm committing today to obey irrationally, to continue to be faithful, to give extravagantly. And Lord, I'm committing to pray really big prayers, prayers that can only happen when you step in. If you really believe and you can really see it, would you pray that to the Lord today? I'm going to ask you right now. Would everybody just stand with me? Everybody stand with me if you would. Before I pray, we're going to sing a song. It's really one of my favorite songs. It's called Waymaker, because this song reminds me that he's a waymaker, a promise keeper, that God does all things for us, and that when we, that when we need him the most, that God steps in in such a powerful way. Listen, the, pop, the, the possibility with this land, the possibility of a home, the possibility of building, listen, you can put down pencil to paper and go, well, it's possible. No, no, no. If you looked at all the contingencies, it's not possible unless God steps in, but he's our waymaker, isn't he? He's our promise keeper. He's light in the darkness. And may we just, if you really see the need, if you see the opportunity, would you just simply say, Lord, I'm committing to obey irrationally, to continue to give extravagantly. And Lord, I'm going to pray some really big prayers. Listen, I, my prayer is this, is that in five years, we have a big celebration. Looking back on this day, going, do you remember when? Do you remember when? People decided to obey irrationally. Do you remember when people continued to give extravagantly? Do you remember when people prayed prayers that were God-sized prayers? Look where we're at today because people five years ago stepped out and stepped up and said, God, we need you. So let's pray together. God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for my family. God, I love these people in the room or under the tent, rather. I love them. I love how they've impacted my life. How when I look at them, I see people who are passionate about you. God, they, they motivate me. They inspire me. And God, I thank you that I get to be part of this church. I thank you for all you've done today. I thank you for pastors, words of encouragement. I thank you for Don reminding us where we've come from. I thank you for where we're at as a church, even though we're vulnerable, even though we're angry. I thank you that there's a group of people that are exceptional in loving you and loving others. But God, we know you're not done with us. We know you have a future for us. And as many in this room, this tent fill, we believe that future has to do with having a home, a permanent place, some ground that we can break and some dirt that we can call our own so that we can more effectively reach people. We can more effectively provide opportunities for spiritual growth. God, we believe that. But the only way we're going to get there, Lord, is if we do what Peter and John did. If we commit to obey irrationally, to give extravagantly, and to pray really big prayers. 
God, we know none of this is possible without you. We know that you're the one that makes the way. We know that you're the one that keeps your promises. And so, God, we just exalt you today, and we ask you to do a great work in our lives. Lord, we love you, and we desperately need you. For it's in your precious and your powerful son's name we pray. Everybody said amen. 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 Let's worship together.